The reading from the Gospel, the traditional reading that comes at the beginning of Lent, which churches across the world, even our forgotten twin, the Orthodox Church, begin Lent with this reading, although Lent begins at a different time in the Eastern churches. Everyone begins Lent with this reading. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will be all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. This does not work as a story about Jesus. I mean, you can have it that way, but then we have to have a conversation about who the heck the devil is and is there a literal devil and is the devil the same as Satan and the same as Lucifer and the same as the father of lies and all the other names. And and even if it's a story about Jesus, it can then just be a story about someone special who's doing something that's not our life at all. If it's a story about Jesus, it's a story out there. It's nothing to do with us. Jesus is different. He's like God. And the devil, well, that's a totally foreign idea to us. 
It's some sort of massive fight between good and evil. Maybe a bit more like Richard was talking about the, the superheroes in the Marvel movies where it's always a cataclysmic fight to the death between good and evil. And it can be about religion. It can be a sort of divorced from life. We use the word temptation. A much better word would be the word testing. Because temptation always seems to be about morality and the seven deadly sins. And you know our obsession with sex that the church has had because, you know, Jesus spoke so much about sex. We've gone on and on and on about it. It just takes it in a whole different direction. What if we thought about it, though, as a story about us, as a myth? Now, the definition of myth that I've often shared with you that comes from a number of scholars, that a myth is not something that never happened. A myth is something that happens over and over and over again. That's how a story becomes a myth. Because we recognise within, ah yes, here I am again. This is the story about how human beings do this or how they live with this. It doesn't mean the events that we re- list, we've just read did not happen. That's not what this is about. It means that we can think about it as a universal story for all of us. Because it's a story we know very well. It's a story of our inner life. It's the story of the constant dialogue, the constant barrage of dialogue that we have inside our heads that nobody else knows about. Where we're fighting with ourselves. Where we're berating ourselves. Where we're yelling at ourselves for doing something better or stop doing something. We know all about testing. As we do it to ourselves all the time. And we are constantly plagued by the word that the devil here uses to Jesus if bringing a whole lot of things into question. If you are really who you pretend to be, if you are really the person you want to be in the world but you know secretly inside you're not very often much of the time, if if you are the son of God, the devil says, If you then worship me, the devil says. If you are the son of God, he says again. If you are who you say you are. Well, if you are who you say, you should be rich and famous because that's the goal of every human life, surely. You should be rich because you can turn stones into bread. You should be famous because all the kingdoms of the world are yours. You should be able to deal with fear. You shouldn't live in fear. You should be strong and autonomous and alive. And You should be, you should be, you should be. I'd like to go into bed right now. I'm not, not even close to what I should be, who I should be. If you are who you say you are, it unmasks our fear. It's as soon as we read this little bit of the story, how poor we are in our spirits. How we know we should be, we could be, we long to be, but how far away we are from it. It's this the unmasking that we do to ourselves in the small hours when we're not sleeping. It's the story of who we are and how we live now. It's the story, turn stone to bread. Stay small. Just just get enough to go on with. Jesus, uh, the, the devil doesn't say, turn all the stones into bread for all the world. There's a story about that later, of course, when Jesus is feeding 4, 000, uh, 5,000 and then 4,000 people. That's a whole other story. 
just says, turn this stone into a loaf of bread. If I just live small by myself, to keep to myself, and don't sort of open up too much, I'll just get by. The kingdoms of the world, you could, it's a test about fantasy. And throwing yourself off might be a test about the, the desire we sometimes have to be a victim. I'm tired of having to make all these decisions. I want somebody else to take care of me. I know you're not supposed to because I'm a grown man. But don't you want sometimes just somebody else to take the burden just for a minute? Somebody else to make some of the hard decisions. Like if you were lucky, for a period of time, you had parents or guardians who did that for you. So what do we do with this story? Is it, this is just the way things are, it just keeps on going. Because it says the devil left him for a while or until an opportune time. Because we know that story. We get over, we overcome it, we finally get back to sleep at about four in the morning for another hour or so. And then we get up and we get, we're, I can manage it. And then it falls apart again. We know this story. So let's see what Jesus does because otherwise this, this is just a terrible story. It's just the cycle of over and over again. First of all, Jesus doesn't seem to accept the testing. So he doesn't engage with the test. He doesn't refute if you are who you say you are. He doesn't engage with the premise. He works from a completely different world view. He doesn't ignore it, but he doesn't accept the premise. Well, obviously, you're not that smart, so therefore... Well, wait a minute. Don't therefore. Let's go back to what do you mean I'm obviously not that smart. Let's check that. Is that a true premise? I'm obviously not that loved. I'm not that popular. I'm not that... Whatever it is. Jesus seems to go back and check. And then what he does do, the other things he doesn't do, what he does do is he quotes the Bible. It is written. It is written. It is said. Now remember, we're trying to read this for its kind of universal, mythological understandings. This is not a call for you to read your Bible more and memorise it. Might be a good idea. I don't know, that's up to you. But that's not what this is about. Something else is going on here. Because the Bible for Jesus is not a book. It represents something. It, it, shouldn't, it should be this way for all of us. First of all, of course, it's not a book anyway. It's a, a library of books. What does the Bible say? It's like going to the state library and saying, what does the state library say? What? doesn't make any sense. It's a collection of things. It's it's a millennium-long conversation about what it means to be human and how the human interacts with the divine. Is there a divine? That's what the Bible is, parts of the Bible talk about. It's an ongoing conversation. And so those sort of Christians who say, well, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. That's not what's going on here. To quote from the Bible, as Jesus is doing, is to, to, is to indicate that you're standing in the middle of the great conversation about all of the things that it means to be human and all the things that it means to be divine. And it goes on and on and on. And it's still being written. The Jews have the thing, a thing called the Talmud, where they, which is, is essentially a, 
an ongoing commentary on the Bible, or in their case, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Te- what we call the Old Testament. It's an ongoing conversation. So in one way, Jesus is stepping in. And when he says, it is written, he's saying, I am going to bring to this conversation, if it could call it that, I'm going to bring to this event the whole conversation of what it means to be human, of what it means to be interacting as a human with God. He is not alone in the wilderness. He is, the, the text says, filled with the Spirit, which is one way of understanding what this is about. It's bringing all of this together. It's one of the reasons why we gather to, for worship. It's because we remind ourselves by reading the scriptures, by singing hymns that, that we sang a Charles Wesley hymn, an ancient for us, an ancient hymn, and we sing even older ones. And we constantly rehearse this stuff as we try and make sense of what it means to say it is written. What are the tests? Well, they're a pack of lies. Look at them. They're a pack of lies. In fact, the devil is called the father of lies in John's Gospel. You cannot turn stones into bread. We know that. It's just a fantasy. It's a way of making life easy without having to work hard. If you've ever made bread, you have to knead it. It takes work. You can't just get bread from nothing. Somebody has to pick the the wheat and has to grind it and we know all that. And anyway, we need far more than bread to live. Bread will help us to exist, but our lives can't be full lives, of course, unless we're deeply embedded in, as, as it's called in Luke's Gospel, the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, full lives. No one lives by bread alone. Jesus says it's obvious. Bread alone is bare existence. This is what the ongoing conversation says. We need far more than just enough to eat to be alive. Our epidemic of loneliness, our epidemic of suicide in Australia is an indication that something is missing. We need far more than just enough to eat. Most Australians, most of the time, can, if they can find their way to it, can eat most of enough. Still not enough. We're still paying people way too little. But we need more. You can't turn stones into bread. You can't own all the kingdoms of the world. Caesar Augustus thought you could. He died probably a couple of years before Jesus says says these words and a, a number of years before Luke records them. And he didn't get them given to him anyway. He took them in bloody wars over and over again. And what happened to him? What's going to happen to you and me? He dropped dead. You can't own all the kingdoms of the world. It's not. A, it's a lie. It's not true. And of course, the devil says they've all been given to me. No, he's like Augustus. If he's got them, he's taken them. You cannot be in total control of your life. You can get all the insurance you need and all the superannuation you need and then all of a sudden, it all falls apart. Ask anyone sitting in a bunker or in a basement in Kiev this morning. You can try and control everything, and if you do, you will damage yourself and others. Putin, Xi Jinping, trying to control their part of the world. How do you respond to that? Well, worship God and serve only God. Worship, we get again all very religious about worship, kind of... We start to lose touch with what it means. One of the ways of understanding worship is be grateful. Live fully in gratefulness. That's what worship can be. 
rather than trying to sure you have to take out insurance some of us were some of our insurances are required and we need insurance for this building here and we, it's our job to keep that and be conscious of it and be careful of it and be good stewards of our lives but it's a long way from that to saying we've got it all sorted and controlled be grateful for the life that you have serve gratefulness which is basically living in joy that's what the ongoing conversation says. That's what the it is written means. You can't own all the kingdoms of the world. It's a lie. And you can't throw yourself down and be rescued by angels. God is not out there saying, I'll find you a parking spot. We can live in that fantasy and many Christians do. Many Christians live in the fantasy that somehow they are different to the people in Kiev. That God will somehow do something special to look after them while six million people were slaughtered in the 1940s. The great conversation says we need to learn the truth of our lives, that they're precarious. And that we're not trying to test God, to have God do something for us to prove that God exists or is real. We can't live in a fantasy where somehow the laws that apply to everyone else at this moment, for this moment, don't apply to me. We want them to. When we get that diagnosis of a terminal illness, once we get past the thing of believing it couldn't, they made a mistake, it must have been someone else and they mixed up the test. Once we get past that, the desire to have the laws of the world changed just for me, just in this instance, are so overwhelming that for some people, they can never get past that. Don't put God to the test. Well, don't put the universal love of the, the, the universal love of everything, which is what we mean when we say God. You don't need to test that. It's just present in your life. Your life, it turns out, is a gift. It just is. It's a gift for now. Who knows how many of us will be able to gather here next week? We don't know. We don't know what will happen. But it's been this gift. You can't throw yourself down and be rescued by angels. It's a lie. There's a deeper truth. The truth is, it is written. The truth is, it is written. The truth is, it is said. It's the great conversation in which we and God, we and each other, interact ongoing and live as well as we can, as hopeful as we can, as grateful as we can. And we are not alone. The book of Hebrews says we're surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses. The Gospel of Luke says we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It looks like wilderness, but we are not alone. Let's stop. Thanks, Matthew.